the biggest things I've always been interested in is marketing and communication and, and advertising and how we advertise things. And so uh, if you watch and you look at uh, online or, or you see what happens in radio or, or print ads, um, there's been some changes through the years uh, with how we advertise. Um, and if you go back to about the 30s, uh, that was kind of when you started with this idea of here's my product and here's why it's best. Right, so if, if, you, were, if you had a, um, a, a mop or a vacuum cleaner, you could say, the problem is you have dirty floors, and here's how my mop or my vacuum cleaner cleans those better, right? Maybe it's got a sprayer on it, or maybe it's got a, a really good uh, uh, vacuum or, or a new handle or something like that. And so you tout the, the uh, benefits of your product. And then... After a while, we came to this era. Now, all of these things are used uh, all the time, but there kind of came this emphasis. And in the 60s or so, uh, through the 80s, it was all about characters. How many of y'all remember characters? Like, like somebody tell me what. I'll, I'll, I'll get you started. Tony the Tiger. Right? Remember Tony the Tiger? Who else? Great. That's right. Who else? Anybody got one? Yeah. Toucan Sam. Toucan Sam told what? Fruit Loops. Fruit Loops cereal, Right? Um, you had Toucan Sam, you had Ronald McDonald, you had Mr. Peanut, you had the Pillsbury Doughboy. Remember, we were like pushing you, whoo! Yep, yeah, I'm only doing that once. <laughs> so both of these methods have continued, right? And then along came Nike. And Nike said, you know what? We could tell you how great our shoes are, or, or we could to have a character, or we could sell you a feeling. And so one of the first ads Nike ran was a print ad, and it was a, a, a full-page ad, and it had a picture of, of a, a road and telephone poles and trees, and very small was this man running on the road, right? You couldn't tell what type of shoes he wore. You couldn't, you couldn't see, um, you know, it, it didn't say like Nike really big on, on the ad, but it did say this. It said, there is no finish line. And so Nike wasn't telling you about their products. It wasn't telling you uh, about a character. It was selling you a feeling. If you buy our shoes, you will feel like you can run forever and never stop. Later on, they adopted Just Do It. Just Do It didn't tell you anything about the shoes. It says if you buy these things, you can do anything. So we progress from a solution to a character to a feeling and now there's something else. And like I said, all these have always been through, but there seems to be a dominant brand idea that companies and marketers use. And that is, have you tried this? That is the word of mouth recommendation from a friend. 92% of people in the world trust word of mouth from somebody else more than they do advertisements. How many of you bought a car uh, because you saw a cool picture on the TV? Or how many of you have your, well, Ken did, okay. He's part of that 8%. How many of you, though, have bought a car or gone to a restaurant or tried a product because someone said, hey, you've got to try this? They said, hey, I, I, I bought this car and I think it's great and, and you should try this. Or I went to this restaurant and it's awesome. You should try this. 
Word of mouth is, is huge. Friend recommendations, it's nothing new though. Like I said, all these things have been used, but friend recommendations is something that we see in this story 2,000 years ago. Before we get there, I just want to say, have you ever been watching TV and, and you, you turn on the TV show and you know you are at the beginning? Like you know that either you logged in right at the right time or you know that, that you pressed the button at the right time and the show is starting, but it seems like you jumped in the middle of the show. Like the action's going on and you're kind of dis, discombobulated. You don't know really what's going on. And, and all of a sudden you see they've already progressed and you wonder if you've missed part of the show. And then it happens. Then, then it pops up on the screen and it says something like 48 hours earlier. So they're going to go back and they're going to tell you how you got to where we were now. Or maybe you have uh, watched a TV and a show and, and over the break, uh, Christmas break, your show didn't, wasn't on. Um, and so when it comes back on, they do this, and they used to do it a long time ago, and they've started doing it again. They would say, previously on MacGyver. I watched MacGyver, right? Previously on. And then they would go and show you all these scenes from different episodes that were trying to get you caught up with where, we, with where they are. And so when I started reading this scripture, it seemed like we were kind of starting in the middle of a show. And my first clue was when it says the words, the next day. So uh, curiously, I'm going to think, if, if we're starting the next day, then what happened on the previous day? All right, so we're going to go back a little bit. Um, this book, uh, this, this starts, this is a, a continuation of our story in the book of John. And remember, John started off, like we said last week, with in the beginning. Now, you can't get much earlier than that, so we know that's the beginning. In the beginning, the Word was, word was with God, um, and, and, and John uh, goes into telling us about Jesus. Now, if you have read uh, the scriptures, you realize that there are three books that are gospels that are what are called synoptic gospels, right? So they kind of go in the same order. They have kind of the same stories, and you progress through this timeline of the life of Jesus. If you read Matthew, Mark, and Luke, you can kind of line them up. But if you take John and try to line it up, it is all messed up. Like there are stories that are the end of Matthew, Mark, and Luke that are, that are starting off in John. Like the clearing of the temple, uh, that is all out of order. But, but you know, those three kind of go together, but they, and they tell you that story, but John is different. John's trying to give you insight into who Jesus is. Because if you know who Jesus is, you know the Father. So John starts off with Jesus was the word of God and Jesus was the light of the world. And then it says that the word became flesh and dwelled among us. He emphasizes that the way to know the father is to know the son. And so in verse 29, just before where we are, um, John the Baptist, remember, is preaching and in, in, um, baptizing people. And, and people are asking him, are you the Messiah? And John says, no, it's not me. I'm not the one you're waiting for. You're waiting for Jesus. And, and then Jesus comes along. And John says, look, there he is. There's the one you're waiting for. And in verse 37, it says, two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. John says, it's not about me. It's not about who I am or what I can do. It is about Jesus. And so now we come to today's story, uh, just, just right around that time. Uh, first of all, uh, Andrew is one of those disciples. 
And Andrew, here's John say this, he sees Jesus, and Andrew goes and finds Peter, Simon. And he says, Simon, we have found the Messiah. And so Peter comes and follows Jesus. And you remember Peter from a couple weeks ago? He's the one that walked on water and stepped out uh, and sank, and, and, and Jesus uh, pulled him back up. And so in today's story, where it says the next day, the same thing happens again. Jesus calls Philip. And he says, follow me. Now, Philip is, is from the same town that Andrew and Peter were from. And Philip went and found Nathanael. And he says, we have found the one who Moses and the law have spoke about. Uh, we have found Jesus, the son of Joseph from Nazareth. And Nathanael's a little skeptical. I don't know what he has against Nazareth. I'm not sure what he because Can anything good come from Nazareth? But Philip says, come and see for yourself. So to recap, John the Baptist points to Jesus and tells disciples, look, there he is, come and see. Andrew, one of the disciples who was uh, there, tells his brother Peter, come and see. Jesus calls Philip, who is from the same town as Andrew and Peter, for him to come and see. And then Philip tells Nathanael, we have found him, come and see. Do you kind of see what's happening? Like John tells the disciples, and they tell their brother, and they tell someone else, here is Jesus, the Messiah, but don't take my word for it. Come and see for yourself. That's the call that we see here. Nobody is, is arguing why you should follow Jesus. Nobody's laying out a 10-point plan. Nobody wrote a book or an email or an e-book you could sign up for. No one prepared a PowerPoint presentation on how to follow Jesus. No, they said, I met Jesus. I think he's the one. I'd like you to meet him and see for yourself. And so should we. That's what it means to be a witness. When you are, uh, if you are watching a trial or, or anything like that, a witness is someone who knows something to be true and they tell it to others. If 92% of people will trust what a friend or relative say, then shouldn't we be telling them about Jesus? When is the last time you went to someone and you said, hey, trusting Jesus changed my life? And I think it can change yours too. Why don't you come and see? And so we tell people about Jesus because we know him. And the story goes on. Philip witnesses to Nathanael, and this happens. I'm going to read this from verse 47. When Jesus saw Nathanael approaching, he said of him, Here truly is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. How do you know me? Nathanael asked. Jesus answered, I saw you while you were still under the fig tree before Philip called you. What? I saw you when you were under the fig tree before. So Jesus has this supernatural knowledge of Nathaniel. And the cool part about it is, is that Jesus knew Nathaniel before Philip called him. And for me, that means a couple of things. One, Jesus knew what Nathaniel could do. Jesus knew his strengths, he knew his ambitions, he knew his heart, he knew what he was capable of, his courage, his thoughts, 
his plans. But it also means this. Jesus knew his fears, his faults, his weaknesses, his failures, past, present, and future. And Jesus called him anyway. And the same is true for us. Jesus calls us anyway. I hear so many people say, I can't teach Sunday school, or or, I can't work in children's ministry, or I can't do this or that because do you know how messed up I am? I can't lead a Bible study because I don't know enough of the Bible. I can't preach about forgiveness because I struggle with forgiveness all the time. But you ever think you might be the perfect person to teach a Bible study because you don't know it all and you are learning and you can teach others how to learn? You ever think that that you might be the perfect person to talk about forgiveness because you're struggling with it and you're figuring out how to do it and you can help you relate? God knows you. He knows your weaknesses and your failures and your fears and your thoughts and he calls you anyway. What you may see as a problem, God sees as a possibility. What you may see as an obstacle, God sees as an opportunity. What you might see as a weakness, God may see as a way to make his power known. For we hold this treasure in jars jars of clay to show that the all-surpassing power comes from God and not from us. God doesn't call people who are perfect. He calls people who are willing to be used in spite of, of what they've gone through. So we tell others about Jesus because we know him, and we tell others about Jesus because he knows us. And then the scripture continues. Then Nathanael declared, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. And Jesus said, you believe because I told you, I saw you under the fig tree, you will see greater things than that. And he said to him, very truly I tell you, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. Now, there's a lot more you can go into and dive into about uh, allusions to the Old Testament and Jacob's ladder and, and what all that means. But, but I just want to kind of hit the top point of this and say that Nathaniel believes. Because he knows Jesus, because he knows him, he knows God. And that's one of the themes of this book, that the way we know God is to know who Jesus is. And Jesus says, you ain't seen nothing yet. Later on in this book, and we'll get to it later on, uh, but in chapter 14, Jesus says this. He says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really know me, you will know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him, and you have seen him. We tell others about Jesus so that they will know God. John the Baptist says, look, there's Jesus, come and see. Andrew said, we have found Jesus, come and see. Philip said to Nathaniel, I met Jesus, come and see. How will we do the same? I don't think it's complicated. I I don't think there's a formula. I think it can happen over a cup of coffee. I think it can happen at a school lunchroom table or with lunch with your family and friends after church. I think it can happen on a car ride home or a basketball game out of town. I think it can happen in a text message or Instagram or a blog post. I think all you have to say is, I know Jesus. He changed my life. I think he can change yours too. 
why don't you come and see? 